0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams. This is the podcast where you're going to go every day so that you can learn the ins and outs of creative real estate, doing things differently. And today is just the same because we've got Tom Olson and the way he's thinking differently is, well, with his education company, he teaches people why you do what you do, not what to do. Okay. So everyone else is out there teaching you, this is what you do when you're going to learn how to do this. And then people will learn that. And then, but they'll say like, well, you know, should I do it this way? And they'll start asking themselves too many questions and which actually helps you to not get off the ground. But if you understand why you're doing it, what's the background behind it, you'll actually be able to do it. There's a ton more about Tom Olson. So let me tell you a few little things. This is kind of interesting. He got started in real estate and the construction industry when he was 12 years old. And then at 19 years old, he bought his first rental. Very interesting stuff. He owns the Olson Group, which does construction and property management. He has the Good Success Education company and the Good Success Mastermind. And then what, a few other quick things is that he buys and sells over a hundred houses every year. He does turnkey, he does fix and flip, etc., etc, etc. Right now, in his own portfolio, he's got 25 rentals and seven vacation rentals. These are mostly single family and a couple duplexes, which helped him to win the award. Show us the award, Tom. Okay. He won the award at Think Realty Single Family Investor of the Year. So- Thank you, mom. (laughs) Congrats, Tom. A lot of cool stuff. I'm excited to have you on
1: the show. That's awesome. You guys won an award there as well, didn't you? It was not master award Investor yes. of the Year or something? Yes. You know what? Yes. So, I wasn't
0: gonna say it, but I'll go grab it.
1: Hey, I, 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 I'll plug you. I have no, that, that's awesome. See? See, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Blue Spruce Holdings. Yes, that's pretty awesome. I, I I love uh getting together with other high elite real estate investors that know what they're doing and have been around the space for at least a little bit of time. And um, that's kind of really what my mastermind is all about, getting people that really know what they're doing together so they can either stay together, because sometimes business is about surviving, and sometimes it's about thriving, but really what we focus in good success is more about why you do what you do, or what's the purpose, um, what are you really doing in your communities, Um, yes, we want to make money, that's fine, but I think too many people focus on how much money they're going to make and they forget what they're actually doing. Um, and, and, that's, and sometimes that's why we get a bad name. I mean, too many real estate investors out there have a bad name. They don't pay their contractors on time. They just come in and tear up cities and they don't really leave that legacy of charity. You know, like, what are you really doing in the community? How are you building the community? So that's what we focus on with our community go-giver. Um, and, and that's what good success is all about. Having the right kind of success in, good, in, in real estate.
0: I love it. Thank you. Thank you for going through that. So, let me ask you a quick question. When you were 19 years old, why did you buy a rental? Like, what was going through your mind? Did your dad already own a whole bunch of real estate and he was telling you you had to do it?
1: What was really going through your mind back then? So, when I was 19, a book came out called um, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> and, and, you know, as a 19-year-old, you don't really think most 19-year-olds most are going to read a book like that. But I read two books that year, and the only books I read are books that are today are mentioned over and over and over again. One was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And and well, Think and Grow Rich had been out for a long, long time. But I read Think and Grow Rich that same, that same year. And to me, I think the thing that will change you are the people that you meet and the books that you read. Um, I have a goal every year right now to, to read at least 50 books every single year. Um, right now, I'm on track by about 30. I just finished 30 last week. And, um, you know... I, so if you want to ask me why, that's how, because, because I I read those two books and I said, I'm in construction. I can do this as a contractor. You feel like you do the hardest part anyways, even though there is other parts that are, that are good. Um, and I, I, even just wrote a book about like how to have good success with, um, contractors, because I think it's a, it's an almost an epidemic today in today's society, because we don't realize like how much value a really good contractor can bring. And the contractor doesn't realize how much value they bring, but the contractor doesn't also realize how much value an investor can bring to their business as well. So collaborating together with those two people can be a really awesome um, connection if you can make it happen.
0: You said something that I've never thought about. So I will will say again, just in case it kind of went right past our ears as we were driving. And that was that, well, first off, a contractor can make or break your business as an investor. But at the same time, you said something I never heard of before, and that was that an investor can be one of the best things for a contractor. So I'll let you expand on that a little bit since you have a lot of experience with the construction
1: industry. Well, I'll tell you, that's how I got into really full-time investing. So in 2006, um, if if anybody knows really real estate and really knows new construction. At least 2006 was when the crash happened. It wasn't 2008. It was in 2006. I mean, pretty much when you see, um, building, building permits die from like 500 being pulled in a County a month to like 50 in one month, like we were done. So 2006 is when I saw, you know, my, my income, I was, I was making good money. I had just gotten, um, had, had a kid. We had just purchased a, a, a nice home in a nicer area. And uh, all of a sudden, boom, I go from making six figures a year to like $20,000 a year overnight. And um, I had to make some phone calls. So I made some phone calls and I said, hey, what can I do for you? And and I, and I I did a job for a guy and I just did one job and he's like, huh, I've never had this happen. You got done on time and you got done on budget. And I was like, Okay, well, I just thought that that's what I was supposed to do. So one thing led to another. Uh, he, he's like, I want you to run every single one of my houses and every single one of my crews. Within six months, I was actually 50-50 partner with this guy and his construction company. And then six months later, he actually left. And I'm like, holy crap, I just went through this. Like I, I, already, I already had this, this downturn for myself personally. So by this time, I was already dealing with the investors. I was dealing with them on their, their choices, what they wanted to do for the um, rehabs and and i and i just went to them and said hey if i could help you find a house i'll help you get utilities turned on i'll make sure that you get insurance on the property and i'll coordinate all that i will do the rehab for you i'll i'll hook you up with the best realtor in this area and, and we'll sell the houses and all you have to do is just give me the rehabs like if, if somebody came to you adam and asked you that question what would you say well i don't run you shouldn't that. have to think about it i don't it, run that part i don't run you shouldn't that part. have to think but about this I though i have an answer Well, but you shouldn't have to, if you're an investor, you shouldn't have to think about it because like if, if it's a no brainer, like there's so much value being added as that contractor that's only asking you, Hey, can I be your wholesaler without a fee? Can I do all this extra work? And then all I want out of this deal is to just be your contractor. Um, and so I had no idea how much value I was bringing to that proposition until I had been through it for two or three years and flipped over 300 houses with these guys. Um, and but so I'm not saying that every contractor is gonna gonna be that person, but what and but th- that, that's how I learned. I learned by adding way 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 more value to these to, to these investors than I was getting or, or or than I was asking for payment from. Um, and I believe that that is your true value in life is the difference in how much you're asking in price versus what value you're giving to people. And um, so I, I learned some val- very valuable lessons. I learned the whole ins and outs of buying rehabbing, utility process, insurance, like accounting, all that stuff um, from A to Z, how, how much money they made at the end of the, of the project. I learned all that by being that, that, that middle person. And if you treat your contractors right, and you, and you, you focus on the value that you're bringing to them, um, I believe that that you can, that they'll continue to work for you over and over and over again. They won't even have time to go, you know, look for other work um, and vice versa. If you're a contractor, I believe that, you know, don't always look at investors as just the greedy investor who wants to get you to come down on your price you know, look at the investor as I don't have to do marketing. Um, all the money that I don't have to spend in marketing, you know, the, the consistent paycheck that, that they can give me, it's that value that they're bringing to you that you have to focus on in order to make a relationship work.
0: All right. So I've got a few questions and one of them is going to be about payment because you just said that. So, but the first question is for investors, how, what, what is the best way to find a good contractor? As
1: an investor. Okay, so I I've <laughs> I, I, I've done like a bunch of stuff on this, and I know that's gonna come off the top of my head, but uh, so I, I think the number one is referrals, um, and then and the number two is, um, well, these is come some of the secrets that that we use. So we go down and pull all of the city's building permits because it's public record. And it'll tell you every single person who's licensed. And in order to be licensed, you have to be insured. So, like, I know those people that are already working. And I like to work with people that are already working, not necessarily just people that that, that want work. So I'm looking for um, – so so that's kind of two of our secrets. We also put um, looking for contractor signs out at Menards and Home Depot and Lowe's. Um, and that's, that's – and so and, – and referrals – and that's probably the main ways that that we find good contractors, but it's not just about finding the good contractor, it's about keeping the good contractor so for me like when they when they come in, we do an interview process almost like an employee. I tell them what my core values are, I tell them like it, it really is almost an interview for that because i I want that upfront expectation to be to be set right up the bat, and I want them to know. That what we're doing isn't just for us to make money, it's for a lot bigger cause and why I want to flip the city of Gary and why I want to give away a billion dollars in my lifetime and all that stuff. I want them to be a part of that purpose that I'm a part of as well. And and, um, so, and then we also do, every year we do a a contractor event. So all of our contracts, we'll have over a hundred people come to our office um, with with their, their, their teams and their staff, we give out awards for our core values, charity, stewardship, community, growth, and then contractor of the year. So we'll give out five awards and we'll do stuff like that to just give something to them to let them know that, that, that we care about them and that to me, they're just as much of a customer as, as an investor that I, I work with on the other side.
0: All right, so I can already tell that this could become a long interview. So I will try to keep it to where we need to go, but I have so many follow-up questions. So let me kind of backtrack a little bit. I'm asking, how do we find, how do we find good contractors? And you had some really good insight. All right, number one, for referrals. Uh, and I hear that all the time. Everybody says that's where you find the good ones is referrals, so great. Number two, building per- permits. And this is something I've never heard of. And I liked the way, the wisdom. You said, you want to find out who is working, not just who wants to work. Love it. And then you said you you find some at Lowe's. But then the fourth thing that you mentioned was one that I really need to retouch on. It says, you're basically saying, Adam, finding good contractors is not enough. It's not about just finding them. It's about how to keep them because we're gonna be doing more and more uh, properties over and over and over, and you want that loyal person. And so when you kind of went into, into this, you talked about it's, you're talking to the contractors and kind of inviting them to be a part of a cause, not just about making money, it's part of a cause. So I want you not getting into the five awards yet, but just talk to me about what is, what do you tell the contractors is part of the cause exactly?
1: Well, this is different for every single person because what my, what I, why I believe God put me on this earth is different than why you're on this earth. So I think everybody has to have their own purpose, their own cause, their own 10-year target. their big goals that they're trying to get everybody else to come on board with them. Um, kind of backing up just a little bit on, I think if you're a leader in your business, most leaders focus on all the, 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 the fluff. They don't really focus on what's really important as a leader and that's to create momentum. And you can't create momentum if you have to go and hire a new contractor every single time you get a new job. You have to create create momentum by doing the same thing over with the same people over and over and over again. Um, You kind of see that even with your own teams and your employees. Like The longer they work for you, the more they just kind of know the ebb and flow. And and that's what you want to create. You want to create that with, think about private lenders, for instance. You know, it, it is so much cheaper to keep that private lender happy and just pay them back every single time. Than to go go and find a new private lender for every single house that you do. So we have over a hundred private lenders that we have in our our queue, and we keep in touch with them all the time. I send them thank you notes at Thanksgiving. I do like things like that for them throughout the year. Um, so with contractors specifically, um, you want to make sure that that you have that you know that that constant momentum that you're having with people that you can work with them over and over and over again, and you want to help build their business up because if you can be of value to them, I think in turn they're they're gonna they're gonna come back to you. As far as my cause, and and um, like I actually do it. A, 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 i I've, I've created a employee interview process that we do our employees and I've created an, a, a contractor interview process and it's similar. I show, I, I created a video that goes through our core values. It actually goes through, you know, this is what we expect for anybody who works for us. I don't care if you're an employee or if you're a private lender, if you're, if you're a contractor, I treat you guys all the same. I only want to work with people that I think fit my core values. And then for me, my purpose, I have two big goals in life. And one is to give away a billion dollars and one is to flip the entire city of Gary, Indiana. And I know that they're both ridiculous out there. I need other people to be able to help me hit those types of goals. And and for, and for us, like, That's 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 what I want my contractors to know. I want the you need to tell that story to your contractors too. It's not just about marketing your story to you know the investors that might want to give you money to do something. It's also about investing in your employees, investing in your contractors. Like to me, community is very important to me, and I feel like my employees, my team is just as much of a community to me as my investors or my mastermind, for instance, or my community go-giver event, um, you know, things, things that we're doing and, and, and initiatives that we're trying to help other people focus on what they're doing in their community. If you're fixing and flipping a house, like, okay, you made some money. But the way I look at fixing and flipping, if you, the only way you're adding value is if you're adding value to that, to that community. I'm sorry, but as a wholesaler, the only value you add, you don't add value to the community, you add value to either the person you're buying from or the seller that you're selling to, and and so it doesn't matter what community you're serving, whether it's a church, whether it's your family, whether it's your team, whether it's, your, it's they're all the same to me. Um, I, I, I'm a protagonist by nature, which kind of means like I always want everybody's opinion to be to be heard and to be valuable in the equation. And whenever somebody tips the table one way or the other, everybody loses, right? So like for instance, a private lender comes in and they want too much money, the deal doesn't work. But if they don't want enough money, then like the tables turn and nobody ends up being happy anyway. So it's same same deal with a contractor. If, if, if the contractor if, is not adding value to you, then you have to get rid of them. But if, you, if you're not adding value to the contractor, guess what? They have every right to get rid of you. And I think it's so much cheaper. You, 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 you learn this in marketing. It's so much cheaper to keep that customer than it is to have to go out and continually get a new customer. And I think it's the same thing for contractors.
0: Perfect. The next question that I have is just if you could go into just a little bit more detail on what it
1: looks like for your the five awards that you give out every year. Sure. So I give the same awards to my team every year at our Christmas party. So and it's our core value. So our core values is number one charity. Um, And then when I say charity, it's not just about giving. It's about a way of living. It's 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 love. I mean, I think the real root word that describes the word charity is love. Are you being kind to others? Are you doing unto others as you would have done unto you? Um, you know, are you being that conduit uh, and and not just wanting everything for yourself? Um, that's, that's, that's the charity. And and, I mean, a lot of times the people that win, those are people that are givers, because I think you can't really love without giving, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's, you know, talents or resources, that's what, that's how you love. Um, so number two is stewardship. I believe that that we're all stewards. We are, we are not here for, for ourself. We, we can't take anything with us. We, we can act like everything's here for us, but in my opinion, we are here for a purpose and that purpose is to love and to give to somebody else. But as a steward, the best way I can think of a steward is a property manager. That's, that's the best example that I have as a good steward. And if you believe that your life belongs to you or, or you know whatever you're doing belongs to you. Like you can't be a steward because you can't steward for yourself. Then then you own it, and there's a difference between owning your yourself or being a steward of yourself. Um, and so I think a property manager is a great example because they steward. They they take a property from somebody and they. I believe a good steward is somebody that brings that property back in a better condition if possible or makes some more money. You know, if you, if you, if you read the story about the talents, you know, the guy was given one talent, two talents and five talents. And the guy that got, was given one talent and was given back Gave back the master the one talent was called a lazy servant. He was not called a good steward. The per- people, I, I believe that the law of doubling is very valuable and should be taught and thought about when we're talking about investing. How quick can we double what we've been given? If if you're giving money, just if you give me money, Adam, as a as a private loan, and I give you back the same amount of money that you gave me, I was not a good steward of your money. But if I gave you back with interest and I gave you back more, um, I believe that then I was a good steward of, of your money, and then. Three is community. Community is something that I think is very important in life. And I think that you, you should focus on what you're doing in your communities. If you're fixing and flipping, I always focus on how much value am I adding to everybody else in the neighborhood. Not just like my house and how much money I can make. But if I raise the values, for instance, we've raised the values from $80,000 to one hundred forty dollars by ourselves with 10 flips in this one area uh, you know, that, that we're working in, in Cayman Township, um, Northwest Indiana, Gary, Indiana. And what I can tell you is, yes, we've made a little bit of money, but at the end, like the focus for me is how much value I've risen in the neighborhood for every single other house. So if you think about that, if I just raised the value, $10,000, you know, in a neighborhood, think about how much value you really gave to to the neighborhood and you should focus on that value that you're giving to your communities. And, um, and then growth. If you, I believe if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think that you should be growing in charity in steward being a better steward and grow in, in, um, in, 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 in your community. And, And I think we should be growing in mind, body and spirit. It's not just, you know, money. It is like, how healthy are you? All those things I think are very important. And that's what I'm looking for, for people that I want to work with. Um, and, you know, and then obviously contractor of the year. So we'll, we'll do employee of the year for our employees, contractor of the year. So kind of be like a fifth one that we kind of encompasses somebody that I think, you know, has all of those core values.
0: Perfect. What was the third one was community?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: I've got it. So charity, stewardship, uh, community, employee, and contractor of the year.
1: Yes, well, growth is the the fourth core value and then contractor of the year is is the the fifth award. Perfect, thank you. All right, so,
0: and I like these two goals and so I just want to repeat them. You want to give away a billion dollars and you want to flip the entire city of Gary, Indiana Uh, and those are lofty goals and that just means you have to keep going and going and partnering and keeping good relationships. All right, so how do contractors find a good investor?
1: I think it's probably easier than you think. I think you just have to go out and let yourself, it's, it's just the way you market to anybody else. It, it's referrals. It's going to Home Depot and Lowe's and Menards. It's calling. It. I, I would suggest if you're a contractor looking for for um, a good uh uh, investors start calling the we buy houses sign start calling all those signs and say hey I know you're an investor do you need any work done um, if you're a contractor and you don't have work in today's environment like you're probably not marketing very well or you're just lazy or you have pride I think there's three things that stops us number one laziness and, you know, it's it's very proven, like the, the average American household that makes less than $25,000 a year watches 7.8 or 7, yeah, I think 7.8 hours of tel- television a year, or, 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 a day, sorry, 7.8 hours of television a day. People that are making over 75,000 watch 3.8 hours or less. So there's a huge contrast just between $25,000 a year and $75,000 a year. So I think laziness is one thing that stops us. You can't do anything if you don't do anything, right? Number two is pride. And a lot of times we just don't we do we, we don't we don't want to open up we don't want to be connected to people and be vulnerable and say hey I need help we don't want to ask for help we don't want to reach out and ask um, and number three is um, fear you know sometimes we're just afraid like we we may not necessarily have pride we, we we're open to it but we're just afraid to go and ask and I think you got to get 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 over those those three things but I it, just simple ideas if you're a contractor like I said call. Go hang out at Home Depot, Menards, Lowe's. Get get in touch with the um, the reps there. The reps know who who the the investors are. Um, hang out at Rias. If you go to Rias and you're a contractor and you don't have work, then you're probably not a good contractor. You might want to start doing something else. Love it. Hey,
0: and you know what? This is just opinion, but when I look at those three things, I think that they all uh, come down to fear. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times, if you have the fear of rejection or the fear of making too much or the fear of not making enough, it might give you pride. It might give you a thought of, well, I have to justify my fear now of why I'm not going and doing that. Or it might give you the laziness and you might not notice that it's fear. And that's just my opinion. But um, I think that it could all boil down to just some type of fear. And Um, I'll say for most,
1: for many people, you're absolutely right.
0: Okay, (laughs) okay. Fear um, is a liar. Fear is a liar,
1: <laughs> and we have to just kick fear in the teeth and say, "Stop, stop!" If you if you just think about it, like if if you weren't afraid of anything and you knew that anything you do that that you did would succeed, what would you do? Everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the next question I have is particularly because uh, my my team were apartment syndicators. We we like those hundred and fifty unit buildings. You're the single family investor of the year. And so I just want to ask you, I mean, obviously it's very successful for you, but just if you could eloquently share for our listener, what is the reason that you focus on single family and not, you know, hundred plus multifamily buildings?
1: So yeah, I I I don't want to be like critical. I just well, part of this is just because this is where I grew up and this is what I have experienced in. So that so that's definitely part of it. The other part of it is I'm not opposed to the larger things, but I do. I'll tell you why I like um, single family. I like single family because I'm working on everything on a one to one basis, Um, and, and I know that that has pros and I know that has cons. I get it. But I like working with one investor that loans me money to do one house. I like if for some reason there's a crash, I don't have to worry about like going and, and making 80 people happy that are in a fund or whatever to be able to work something out. I, I can actually just go back to that one person and say, Hey, let's work this out. Um, I I also believe that that and I I'm not a hundred percent sure on all the tax advantages from the 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 larger you know syndications. I know that there are some that just came into play that I I think are very interesting, but I I obviously love the the the, the tax play with single family. Um, and I also think that the appreciation factor on the single family, at least right now recently, has been astronomical. I mean, we've seen houses double or triple in value. And really, like, in the, in the Midwest, you don't really see that. This isn't, like, normal for the, for the Midwest. We, in 2008, 2009, we didn't have this massive crash um we 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 really just didn't so um when our houses were worth 160 and then now they're worth 150 it's kind of like nobody really cares too much um and you're and at the same time the rents went from like a $1000 a month to $1200 a month and those same houses now they're $1400 a month so um it's kind of it it to me like I like single family. I'm not, like I said, I'm also, I, I'd be an investor of, of just cash. As far as a cash investor, I would definitely be, um, be game and, and work with, and I am working with other people on some syndication stuff as just like, but I kind of keep that in, in the back. That's just more like money, IRA money or stuff like that, that I'm willing to do. But I'm, i as of right now, I'm not the catalyst when it comes to any big multifamily deals. Um does 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 that make sense to answer your question
0: that's perfect and and
1: just to go back at the beginning, you said you know
0: you're not going to you know uh be too too mean about it and that's you can be as mean as you want. I really want to hear your opinion on on why you do single family i'm i'm an unbiased i I do what I do you do what you do but i I really wanted to open up for the listener um what what your thoughts are on it. So uh, you're welcome to be as, as ruthless as, as you want it to be.
1: But I well, do- I think it's an easy point of entry as well. I mean, so it, it, you don't have to know as much, but, but the problem is, is without the numbers, if you are going to go into single family as a rental portfolio, I do not recommend you just go buy one house. That's just, it's probably not going to turn out. Like I, I tell all my my turnkey buyers, if you're going to buy a house, like you should get to 10 as fast as you can possibly get to 10. So, like, I do believe that there is um, wisdom in the numbers and wisdom in like having extra available, and I think that that's what that's really what I believe is the benefit of multifamily because you you start with with those extra numbers.
0: I love that you brought that up, and that is one of the biggest things—the real, true advice that I'll have for people when they when they say I've got fifty or a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand, which in the grand scheme of things. That is a lot of money, but it's not a ton of money from what's right. kind of moving in the world right now. <clears throat> and they'll say, "You know, I've I've got 150k, so, you know, I can afford one single family house." And I, and i like, "Oh my gosh, you're going to buy one single family house with all of your money?" And they're like, "Yeah, don't you think that's smart?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Is the what about the roof? What about the furnace? What about uh, you know, the yard? What about the um what's the uh the plumbing underneath the main, the main line, the sewer. I mean, anything could happen. So, I mean, if I were you, I'd probably try to find a way to invest that a little bit more safely. Maybe in, like you said, 10, tens tens 10's my minimum as well. I, I think once you hit that 10, you're probably going to be start, start being a little bit more safe. But um, I, I like that you brought that up now. So you said you're passive in some syndications. Mm-hmm. How how many doors is that total?
1: Boy, I, I don't pay attention to it as much. It's more like relationships that I've 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 built, okay. but I'm and I'm not like a big investor. It's only like fifty thousand dollars here or like yeah. just minimums to get into into deals with friends of mine. Got it, got it. So all I, right. Yeah, I would have to look that up. I'd have no idea.
0: <laughs> all right. I have two more questions before we get into the final five. The first one, I think the listener will learn a ton from, and I'll probably learn a ton from myself. So I will ask you um, selfishly. It's about payment schedules. You mentioned it, you brought it up earlier. And I, I know that you'll be objective because you're on both sides. You've, you've learned it from both sides. You've you know been in the business since you were 12. What is the ideal way that an investor should pay a contractor. Talk a little bit about payment schedule for us so we can learn.
1: You know, I can't tell you what the ideal way is, but all I can tell you is how I do it. And so I think the ideal way for me and the ideal way that I actually enjoyed being paid this way, and I've kind of felt like it's fair on both sides, is um, once I get to know a contractor, so this is not the first house. I I think the first deal you do with a contractor should be different than the subsequent deal. So I think the first deal, I never pay more than $2,000 up front ever. Um, and I want them to at least get demo done before I'm gonna get, give them any more money. <laughs> So I never want to pay, like I know tons of investors out there that have paid like half up front and then the contractor just walked. And I think that that's a very foolish way to, to do it, especially with somebody that you don't know very well. Now, I actually have one contractor that I still pay all half up front and half at the end, but he's a guy that's been around for years. He's done many deals for me and I have one contractor that doesn't charge me a penny until he's 100% done. Those guys are great, but they're normally a little bit more expensive than the guys that, that you can get to do, have a better payment structure. So the way we do it is we go out create a scope of work. We, we create um, a payment schedule process, and let's just say the rehab is $50,000, and they say it's going to take us nine weeks to do this project. Well, if it's going to take them nine weeks to do this project, we will probably lump this into like either a five-payment schedule or a ten-payment schedule, and we'll say, okay, you're going to get one-tenth of this up front. And then after each phase is complete, and then I'm going to let you create what you're going to do in the phases. Let, give them buy-in on that process of what, what they're going to do first. Cause every contract is a little bit different on their, on their, on their, their process of what they start and end first or end, for, end with. So, so what I, that's how I will do it. And then I'll send a project coordinator out from our office to look at everything that was supposed to be. So our invoices get in on have to be in by Sunday at midnight and they get paid out on Friday. So they get the one contract up front, they get the 10% or the one tenth up front on that particular deal. And then they'll get a payment every single week as long as they get their invoices in by midnight of Sunday night. And then that gives the the project coordinator time to go out by by Tuesday and actually check the progress, make sure everything that was in that first phase was completed. And then he signs off on it. The checks get written or the wires get sent or the whatever the, we do a lot of ACH with our contractors on Wednesday. And then they, they all either have them in our mailbox here at the office or they get ACH by Thursday or Friday. Friday is kind of like our, our promise to our contractors. So that's how we do it. And then at the end of the job, when they say they're done, then we do a whole nother like process. So they normally don't get their last payment until the whole following week because we'll go out, do a punch list, say this all has to be done. And then when you're done with your punch list, then it'll be a 48, period, 48 hour period of time before we promise we'll go out, check it, make sure that everything's done and then pay them. So that's what's worked for us. I think that that's, I've taught that in, in many seminars and taught that in many different, to many different people. And for me, that's what I think is the right way.
0: What percentage of the bill do you want left at the very very end when it's time for the punch list
1: most of our progress payments are like six or seven so like i'm okay i'm okay with like one sixth or one seventh of the total thing at the end because and i'll tell you why i'm okay with it because i know all along the way they're not getting paid for anything that wasn't complete already you know if i was if i was if i wasn't as diligent as as we are about making sure that that they're just getting a. I don't like giving just weekly payments. If I was just giving weekly payments, I I would probably want a higher percentage on the on the back end. But as long as I have real proof that the stuff is done and somebody from my team's gone out and checked it, then um and, and we're trying we're trying to address things in the middle as well. So if something's our fault, then I and and the other, the other the other thing that we do too is we give a penalty. And we give a kickback or a bonus if they're done early, so if they get done early, I give them like a hundred dollars a day to be done early, and if they're done late they got it it starts with fifty dollars a day, and then after like a week, it goes to a hundred dollars a day so I mean there's been people that were two months late, and they and we took like three thousand dollars from that payment because that's they, they were they were that late i mean if you think about it as an investor, your day your we, we have a cost per day analysis for every single deal that we do, and we know like this is costing us you know, 50, 40, 80, $90 a day. So like the longer that rehab takes, it's costing us that much money for taxes, insurance, um, whatever, you name it, you know, investor money, all that. Well, I believe your why is what keeps you going. Um, I I, I believe it's, so it's like, I think that there's a process that in which everybody should go through when they're creating any project, any life mission, any, anything. And I think it kind of starts with what you want. too many people out there are not really willing to be um, humble enough to be um, transparent enough to just really say what they want. You know what I mean? Like, I I promise you, you get, you run into this, Adam, but like, I I see this all the time. And I ask people sometimes, even my mastermind, what do you really want out of this? Like, you have to know what you want first. Um, So if you know what you want first, then I think it's very important to go through why you want it. So I think why is that second step. I I know like Simon Sinek says, start with why, but I think you need to start with what you want because like there is no why, unless there's a want, you know, unless there's a what. So like, I think you have to have the what first and then go through why you really want to accomplish it. And I think you ought to ask yourself that question several times. So for instance, we have a community go-giver event every year in June where we focus on teaching people, not just like what, what we do, but like why we do it. And like, and, and, and trying to focus on the community in fix and flip the community in, in, um, in turnkey or in rental investing, the community in low income housing or affordable housing, you know, the community in doing maybe low income notes or whatever that that people do the community in, in like even using self-directed IRAs and what kind of a legacy that could leave to your family and, and such. So it's all about like what impact are you actually having on what you're doing? So so I went through this exercise of why did I want to do this? And I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. Okay, so why do you want to have people come see your office? Okay, why do you want to, um, you know, encourage other people to be community go-givers? Well, why do you? And I answered myself why well, I want people to go out and, and be um, community go-givers and change their their communities. And then I said, well, why do I want to do that? So basically, it boiled down to I want to be known for somebody who is is encouraging others to good works. Like that's as simple as it is. Like that's, if, if you want to know my legacy, what I really want to be on my tombstone, it should say work. He worked so he could have, so he could give. Um, he was a conduit, not a bucket. Like that's at the end of the day, like that's why we do it. So I think that why is what drives you and sustains you and gets you up in the morning after you've done why I think you have to kind of go back and be humble and be like oh crap where am I at now in this goal because you never know how to get to where you're going unless you know where you're at now you can't draw that map until you do those two and then it's how and then it's what action steps am I going to take now and by when will I actually have that goal reach so that's kind of like just a process that I go through anytime we have to want and to do anything even a rehab you think about it like what do you want why do you want it where are you at now? How are you going to get there? When is it going to get done? Is kind of like the process. That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad we
0: covered that. So I, I do want to touch on some of this because I think it's genius the way you put it out. So first off, when we're talking about touching on the why as opposed to the how, you mentioned some just gold. And you're talking about when you're trying to figure out where you're going to go and your goals and how you're going to accomplish them, you start very systematically. So you're saying... What is it that I want to accomplish? And then after that, you ask, why do I want to accomplish that? But you don't just stop there. You continue to ask over and over and over and over. Well, why do I want that? Well, why do I want that? Well, what is that going to do? You know, you keep going, going, going. And when you nailed it, when you have all that information, you just kind of take an assessment. You say, where am I now? And after that, you're asking, well, okay, how can I accomplish that? And then when will it be accomplished? I believe we should all take note of that because that is probably the best way to get from here to there. And then one, one of the things that I will touch on is that you said what you wanted on your tomb, tombstone. All right, so you said, he worked so that he could have, so that he could give. You wanna be a conduit, not a bucket. All right, my friend, are you ready for the final five? Yes, yes. Perfect. All right. So question number one. Oh, you know what? Let's take a quick break and then we'll get to question number one. This episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by both you and brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have I've uh, been listening to the show for a little while. You love the show and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review. I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, so that's our only
1: ask. Let's get back to the show. What's your most creative deal? So we have, I guess for me, my most creative deal that we've done would be um, I am bought a house, I sold it active turnkey to an investor. An active turnkey for me is they buy it from me cash like a wholesale deal and then I rehab it for them and then they refinance it with the bank and then they keep the property as a, as a rental property for themselves and then I manage it for them. But then after that happened, then I, I'm actually now subletting it from them. So I've decided to rent it from them myself and then now that's one of my vacation rentals. So, if you kind of look at like the back and forth that has happened with there, I, I guess if you ask me what was my most creative deal, that would probably be it. So right now, I'm renting the property for like nine eighty a month because I don't charge a property management fee for that particular property, or, or would have been like eleven hundred dollars a month, and then I rent it on Airbnb and Home Away and places like that, and get anywhere between like one hundred twenty nine and one hundred eighty nine dollars a night, depending on weekends and holidays and that kind of stuff. So you purchased a house, you sold it somebody for cash. Mm-hmm. You rehabbed it
0: for them. Yep. They still own it, but you're leasing it from them and subletting it out as a, ter- as a uh, short-term rental.
1: Yes, and then I also have an option on it as well. So I, I put an option on the property because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I had control uh, in case I wanted to keep the, the property. So That's... And, if, and if the property, which it's gone up in value, so I have, a, I have an option and I'll purchase it for like 110 and it's probably worth like 140 now within the last two years of market.
0: I don't think that'll ever come back on this podcast again. That was, that no. is unique. I got you there. I, I got love you it.
1: there. <laughs> All right. What's a book you recommend? Oh my gosh. Um, right now I am reading um, this. I, I'd rather recommend a series because I've never come across this. So Audible actually right now has, has and it's a special right now. on. Um, it starts with, as a man thinketh. So I I'll give you the picture of it so you guys can see what it looks like. So James Allen audiobook, I'm not sure if you can see this or not. But uh James a- Allen audiobooks, it's a it's like a series of four books plus his bonus content and it's it's like it's in it's like 110 chapters. And it's like twenty dollars on Audible. I would highly, highly, highly recommend this. If I think most of what you talked about is fear, is most people, it, it, and I think that most of us entrepreneurs don't want to hear this kind of stuff. They we think it's frou frou stuff, but it, in my opinion, more goes on. Right, here. this is what keeps most people from from being where they need to be. And and I think that, that if I, I had to recommend a book right now, like that's the one I'm 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 trying to finish reading myself. But I, I think it's, I right now. I, I just I can't. I'm eating it up.
0: Perfect. And just for the podcast listener who is driving and isn't watching the YouTube, you should be. And secondly, um, he's pointing at his head. He says the problem that a lot of entrepreneurs and investors are getting is 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 kind of that noise inside their own head that you know that negative self talk stuff like that. Uh, great. All right. So, Tom, where were you five years ago? Paint us the picture.
1: Um, I was a partner with a man and we were wholesaling houses. We wholesaled 242 houses five years ago. And then the year after that, we did 301. So that's what we were doing. And then I, ha- I had my Olson um, property services, which was just a construction management company at the time as well. So that's, that's pretty much where we were five years ago. That's
0: insane. I, I've never heard of anybody having that kind of volume. That's crazy. Awesome.
1: Well, you, should come right. to my, you should come to my mastermind. There's a guy doing 500. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I I guess I need to.
0: All (laughs) right. So at the end, we'll definitely talk a little bit about how people can find that mastermind. So let me ask you this, Tom, where will you be? What's your vision? Because I know you and I, I heard you say this earlier. I didn't take note of it yet, but um, you said to me, well, and to the listener that you have a 10-year picture always in your mind. And Adam Adams always has a 10-year picture. I don't think we can be successful. Just, I personally do not believe that we can truly be successful unless we see where we're going to be in 10 years and then we have benchmarks of what we, where we need to basically be in five to get there and where we need to be in three to get there, two, and then where we need to be next year. And again, what are we going to be doing today? I think that's very, very important. Sounds like you think similarly. Uh, so what do you see yourself, where do you see yourself in
1: exactly five years? I'm glad that you brought that up. We're actually, go, I actually this week is my leadership team's um, yearly getaway. So right now we're actually gonna be planning 2019 goals and we'll actually go over. We do a two-year picture. So we do our one-year plan, two-year picture, and then we always review our 10-year goal. Um, as far as five-year goes, I actually believe in, it, I believe in five years, Gary, Indiana will be a place that people look back at today and say, crap, I wish I would have gotten in on that on that deal. I am very big right now on in Gary, Indiana. I've seen prices go like raised 60, 70% in the last 18 months. Uh, and they're really cheap entry, entry points too. So I, I, right now we are, um, we are building a, um, a platform to be able to help other people go in and, and make massive changes in like, like whole streets at a time and, and to be able to go into the city of Gary, I'm already investing in certain areas and pockets already. Um, but that's really, um, so I, I have a, I have a coffee house that will probably be in the next couple, two or three years in Gary. I also have a, um, it's called a wellness center. I haven't, I don't have all the hundred percent. I'm dealing with this lady right now that she goes in and buys banks and then she creates a vault. And then that vault kind of is like a community center for people to do shows or whatever. And then around that, they just kind of build the community so that I'm, I'm focused on building a community within Gary, Indiana to be able to like expand. And then that's kind of how I think I'm going to flip the city of Gary. It's not going to, it's not like one house at a time, although it kind of is, it's about bringing in business and it's about bringing in a new culture to be able to help the people actually thrive in the city.
0: Perfect. So. I need you to find me a 150 unit or 250 unit somewhere in Gary, Indiana, that's in a current C, C minus area. And then I want you to go and flip the entire neighborhood around it for me and, and we'll sell that together. How's that?
1: Believe it or not, there's not too many of them, but I, okay. I, I, there are a couple that I could, I could come after. I think PK Management is um, running a couple of those right now and I'm connected with them as well. So I, I could definitely try to make that happen for you.
0: Let's do it. How do you give back? You've kind of gone through this the entire the entire podcast episode. If we go back and listen to this whole thing, it's it's like a hundred percent giving back. It's like everything that you think about is giving back. But I'll give you an opportunity to to just share um, anything else that you have on giving back
1: so I. Part of me doesn't like the actual term giving back because I believe in order to give back, you had to take first. And I, 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 I know that's contrary to what I say, be a conduit, not a bucket work to have to give. But in my opinion, you have to give first. So a lot of times people think that they have to have in order to give. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that there's things that you know, there's people, there's connections that you know, there's 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 knowledge that you know that you can give back or give all the time. So that's that 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 is who I am. That's like that's our number one core value of charity. And 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 like I said, so our our employees, for instance, I I think to me that my employees or my team is like one of my biggest communities I feel like I serve. Every single month we do shout outs. Um, every single and every single month we're not just saving, we're not just having those shout outs in our meeting with our 40 employees, we are saving those shout outs. We put them on a board so everybody can see them all month long. And it takes us like one month to fill up this huge, like three by eight board. And then every single month, my admin manager comes down, she writes them all down and puts them in a spreadsheet. And at the end of the year, we're going to give those back to our employees. Because I think a lot of times our employees are only being, the only thing that we track about our employees are things that are in their file. Well, what's in their file? all the stuff that they did wrong. Right. We're not tracking like what they're actually doing good. Um, you know, so to me, like, I know that doesn't sound like a lot. I, I could talk about money I give and I, I give the tons of charities and that's part of my whole other thing. I just feel like that always sounds too braggadocious and people always like, okay, yes, you'd like to give money. And I do like to give money. There's lots of charities that I support. I love Veterans Path Up and that's a, that's a charity we highly support. Christian Media International, our local church, I mean, tons and tons of charities that we give to, but I think it's what you focus on that's more important. And it's more um, it's, it makes a bigger impact if the focus on the people that you're actually trying to give to. And like I said, that's, that's kind of what we do through and through. And and even in our, even our events, like we're always focused. That's what we're focused on. It's like how we are giving to our employees, how we are giving to our investors, how we are giving to the communities. All right. Well, first off, very, insightful something
0: I've hadn't heard before I like your take on giving first instead of giving back I don't think I'm going to change my question but I almost think I should
1: (laughs) so read the book The Go-Giver Yes, I love it. <laughs> read, read the book "The Go Giver," and that kind of teaches that I actually had, a, had a, the opportunity to talk to um the, the writer of that book, and he was the one that told me, uh, Bob Byrd. He's like, "Well, we don't believe in giving back. we believe in giving first. It's kind of like you know too many people so think if you think about giving back, it's almost like um putting it's, it's, it's like it's like saying to a, a a pile of it's like saying like a fireplace has to give me heat before I give it wood." You know that wood is what's going to create that that flame. It's like going to a bank and expecting them to give you interest before you give them money. you know so like it it, 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 it that that's why like the give first mentality has to kind of always be in play. Now I understand like my whole shirt be a conduit, not a book, it you know, work work to have to give. There is a process where you really can't give money until you have it, but you always have knowledge. You always have experience. You always have a story. You always have encouragement. You always have something that you can you can give to people. And I think what keeps people from that, like I said, was laziness, pride and fear. Like th- that's that's that that's really the story. So
0: well, this is one of our longer episodes. I appreciate everything. You're going to get the
1: most views on this one than anyone you've ever had. I
0: love it. I love <laughs> it. I want to, and that, that'll that be great. All right, so Tom Olson, how do
1: people find you? How do they reach you? Sure, so I am one of those people that I have no problem giving out my personal information. So I, I, I will just give it out. I'm not sure if you tag it and don't do it, but you can you can email me at Tom, or, or T Olson, O-L-S-O-N, at goodsuccess.com. And that I am- Always available for, for, for people. I do, I believe that mo- normally the more you give out your information, the less people contact you. But um you can find us at goodsuccess.com. We do have the good success podcast. Um we do have a community go-giver event every June um in our office where we show people how we um do what we do, but again, like why we do it. We have some great national speakers in there that that, that come to that event and the mastermind. But you can find all that at goodsuccess.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. YouTube, you name it, they're they're all there. Just look at Good Success or me personally um, on any of those platforms.
0: If this is the type of information, if this is the way that you deliver on your own podcast, I suggest everybody go over to Good Success Podcast, check it out. And if you want to get a hold of Tom Olson, again, it's T Olson, O-L-S-O-N, T Olson at GoodSuccess.com again, thank you for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for everything that you shared with us. I learned a ton, especially with contractor and investor relationships. Really, really appreciate that. Until next time, my friend, think outside the box.